The Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast is presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Download their top-rated app and use promo code RTRS when you sign up for the first time. And brought to you by By Nature Pet Food, slow-cooked with super fusion. Get 20% off your first order with promo code 20RTRS at Amazon.com or Chewy.com. LL Pavorsky Jewelers, where Rice to Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get engaged. Cornblow and Cornblow, the official law firm of the process, and Kinetic Skateboarding. Get 9.1% off your first order with promo code Dave Silver. On the show today, the process worked. Once again, Sixers end the season as the top seed in the Eastern Conference, and we wasted retweet Armageddon on Mark Fultz. The regular season is over, so we give out some awards for the year, and one Jake Fisher, formerly of Liberty Ballers, currently of his own book, will join us to talk about that book, Built to Lose. Before we get going, I would like to congratulate uh, Ricky, guys, uh, and our friends, Michael and David. Uh, Months ago, a couple months ago, I mentioned they were going to run a marathon in honor of their son slash brother, Ryan, and nephew slash cousin, Stephen, uh, to raise money for suicide prevention and awareness. They did that today up in, uh, wait, I think near where you were from, Washington Crossing? No. No. Hmm. Not me. I mean, it could have been that, but it wasn't. Yeah, I think it was Washington Crossing, like one one eight something. I knew it was going to be far when the the zip code started with one eight. Anyway, they they ran the the they like lined up a marathon, twenty six point two miles, just father and son, and raised over eleven thousand dollars for uh, suicide prevention and awareness. Their family was out there with drinks along the route, taking pictures, and I went out and ran like four miles with them. Uh, but they did the whole twenty six point two. Congratulations to them on their time as well. Four hours and twenty minutes, very good. Uh, really, really sweet, awesome couple of guys. They left the GoFundMe link up to donate. It's a very great cause. Uh, very close to them. I think uh, depression close to all of us. So the GoFundMe link is in the description for this podcast. Uh, drop five, 10 bucks. So congratulations to Michael and David who did something very, very good to help people. Without any further ado, Amos and the show. Larry, sweetie, the man is here. We will write y'all, we will write, even when it went wrong, we will write, we was right y'all, we will write, so say the name, say the name, we will write y'all, we will write, even when it went wrong, we will write, we will write y'all, we will write, so say the name, say the name, say the name. Welcome to the Rice Ricky Sanchez podcast. I'm Spike Eskin, along with the king of relitigation. That is one, Mike Levin. What a season. To commemorate the season, I have one beer, and I'll be oh. drinking that one beer on this final podcast of the regular season. What do you got? What do you got there? You an IPA guy? A little local LA Santa Monica Brew Works. Okay. Um, just a nice little, nice little Pilsner. There you go. Um, it was a great, it, and it has been a great season. And you said in the intro that it's sad that we wasted Retweet Armageddon on Markel Fultz, which I hear the I hear the logic in, but I do still think it was perfect. 
Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. get to plenty of relitigation with Jake Fisher yeah. down later in this podcast. But I think the benefit of, of being absolute lunatics uh, that all of us are on, on Sixers Twitter and the Sixers online community is that Retweet Armageddon isn't a wasn't one event. It is so much that it is a lifestyle. Um, <laughs> and it just happens as often as we want it to happen because people keep reacting to us mm-hmm. like we're assholes. And then so then we continue to be assholes, you know, like people in the mentions of Rick Buecher and Bomani Jones and everybody, everybody who's ever Mike Greenberg, anybody who's ever had a bad uh, process take. Um, they they come back out. So it's not it doesn't have to be an organized thing so much as it is a constant like you should walk every day. You should drink water. Uh, hygiene is important. And like you should continue doing we to again. It's just not it's not one event so much as it is like something baked into your life forever. It is amazing how many of those folks really just insist on tweeting through it. Like, yeah. I like Bamani Jones. I think he is talented. He is, I, I've seen him speak at a, a sports radio conference. I thought he was really, really um, uh, insightful. Yeah, he's awesome. he, he came on my, my late night WIP radio show once. Very good guy. But watching him tweet through it. When somebody found a tweet from him from last year, basically, battle. yeah, basically pointing and LOLing at all of the Sixers fans last year saying, ha ha ha, it was a failure. It's like, uh, you know, like he like and he just he just in his Bamani way and Bamani style is to tweet through just basically everything. But this one seemed particularly foolhardy to me. Yeah, you, you, can't, just, you can't you can't tweet through it. anything with you the, can't, the you, it's very hard to tweet through anything. Uh, you know, I was I found myself in a, in a tweet through it situation accidentally with the Jokic people what people deemed a Jokic subtweet, which it wasn't. Um, and I and I just sat there with my hands sort of under my thighs and just sort of let it happen. I think it just it, the, the answer is to let it die down and then maybe address it on a podcast. But yeah, <laughs> tweeting through it is not no. it doesn't doesn't do anything for anybody. You're going to you're going to lose and look stupid. Think about this. Have you ever, in the history of Twitter, seen one person convince another person of something that they didn't already believe? It's never happened. Nobody's- no, I, it has happened. I think it, in, in when your back's against the wall situation, I think no. I think when you're when in the cold light of day and, <laughs> and, and, and tensions are not high, I think there's like, oh, that's an interesting point I hadn't thought about before. I, I find myself thinking that a lot on Twitter, but... <laughs> Uh, when it's a when it's a tweet through it situation, I do think there's you're you're just up against it. You're just getting a lot of like gravel in your back and in your hair and stuff because you're so you're really so trying to fight against the wall, but it's not. <laughs> Before we get to this year's Sixers, maybe reflect a little bit, hand out some awards. I, I would like to take a moment to just as a, a th- this started by I did this thing for a local Philadelphia journalist after hours bar called the pen and pencil that is in danger of having to close because of covid and the roof or whatever and it was me and kyle and keith pompey and Derek bodner and somebody said something about brett brown i think it was the host and keith like got a shot in there and i i sort of felt you know i was reflecting on brett you know who if was certainly time for him to go, we all agreed. But without him, the Sixers might not be where they are. He certainly kept the 
the train on the tracks when things were going crazy. Did win 50 games in consecutive years, which no Sixer team had done since the early 80s or something. And I just felt thankful. And I hope that he is looking at this and smiling a little bit, you know? And I, I thought about all of the people that were involved in the team in a good way. So not the Colangelos at all, but all the, te- the, the players that fought their way through it, you know, the Nerlenses, the KJ McDanielses, the Chase and Randall. <laughs> all, all three all of those guys people- are, who are, by the way, in my notes right now to talk about on this podcast. <laughs> so it's good that we're, 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 they're, not, they're not too far from our mind here. <laughs> no. You know, and of course, you know, Sam, who has graduated to being a total fucking weirdo, just a total lunatic, but just I'm thankful that they all had the gumption to do what they did. Brett to keep at it, not quit at any point, even though Brian Colangelo wanted him to. Uh, Sam Hankey having the, the gall to do what he did. You know, just I all the players, all the players, the 100,000 players that, that, that were on the Sixers during this time. I just feel gratitude toward them for getting the, the team to this point. Yeah, and we'll get to the relitigation when we talk to Jake. I, I don't feel, at this point, maybe earlier in the season I did, but at this point I don't feel the need to uh, defend Brett or feel like no. I need to uh, talk him up or anything. I think I think Brett ended up doing the job that he was hired to do, which is like babysit the kids. Uh, he got a little bit of a longer leash um, because of the insanity in the front office. And... Uh, and ultimately, they let him go for a better coach. And I think that was kind of always the plan. And, and uh, you know, Doc's not perfect, obviously. But I'm, I, I think Brett's cashing those checks, uh, happy for the guys that he coached and the guys that he built a relationship with. And uh, somewhere, in, somewhere in Maine, just doing whatever Brett does, uh, pl- pl- coaching uh, random uh, park teens uh, that well, don't his, want to be coached. His son, actually, his son is now 16 and uh, oh, wow. a prospective point guard. So, there you go. I love that. yeah. So, working with him, uh, I would assume. So, there you uh, go. yeah, it was just a, a just a, a quick tribute to the the fallen. So the you know the it was a what a a, a great final game too. You know, Tyrese yeah. Maxey showing out, us just watching, and then. Just a, a statement about Dwight Howard's career that go from MVP type player, definite Hall of Famer, to happy to be in mop-up duty game in the final final game of the year. Having a blast. <laughs> yeah, just really cheering having a good for, time. Cheering for Wendy's, all that stuff. It was it was a great, perfect game, and this was, you know, for so long it was the Sixers not caring in the final moments of a, of the season because they were either fighting to stay in the seven or eight seed and and it didn't matter or uh, they were, you know, 18 and 70, uh, and that didn't matter. And now, and or like fighting to get to the three seed or whatever, and fight fight out of the four or five or whatever it is. And now they're just like they're the one seed, and they closed it before the last game of the season, so they could rest everybody um, because they're going to be uh, heavily involved over the next two months of of playoff basketball. It's really, it's awesome, and I loved I loved the Tyrese Maxey game we got to see. It is an absolute delight that he fell to 21. And that uh, Masai didn't want to trade Kyle Lowry for him and a, you know, a, a decent amount of other stuff, uh, because I think Maxi has improved uh, in 
huge steps through since the trade deadline. Um, he finished with 30 points on 19 shots, three or four from three, and five or five from the line. He's just good, man. He the the biggest improvement is is on the jump shot. Uh, teams are respecting it. He's shooting off the catch. He's pulling up uh, as much as he wants and, and using that to set up the drive where he's so quick going with his right. Uh, his base on the jump shots has really improved. Like when, in Kentucky and then early in the season, it looked like he was just sort of kicking out and sort of like flying a little bit on those jumpers mm-hmm. um, and needed so much strength. But now it seems like he's going up really, really sturdy uh, on those jump shots, and it's really nice. And he still has that floater. I have no idea how, how he has such good touch on his like full speed floaters it still sort of just sits on the rim so nice um and they just he just anytime they got a switch on him and they were like trying to blow up maxi pick and rolls because he kept like just hurting them on it uh when he when he's allowed to go right he's pretty unstoppable it's it's a little roten-esque uh except with the opposite hand um I would love to see him have some of that with the left. When he goes to the left, it seems like he generally pulls up for floaters more, kind of fading. He had that and one going that way. Um, AU had a good point on Twitter that Maxi runs like he's trying to break the finish line ri- ribbon with his chest, which I think was a great point. Um, he he just there's so much joy in his game. He's, he's so he's when he's decisive, he's so decisive and has like a glide to him, like a like a burst glide. Um, he had that two-handed dunk that I loved uh, when Cole Anthony tried to foul him at half court and they just didn't give it to him. He's just a really fun player to play to see, and I think he deserves playoff minutes absolutely um, because he adds an element to, that this team doesn't have that, that you point out a lot as far as perimeter scoring and creation um, and speed with the ball in his hands from anywhere on the court. And, uh, and certainly going forward, I think, like, He's got a really good chance of just being the starting point guard on this team for for a long time. And uh, I want to thank uh, Daryl for making the easy pick when just like he landed in his lap. And of course, Mike Mascala, who will, once the coronavirus is over, get a banner raised to him in his honor at the next lottery party for hitting a huge shot for the Thunder and allowing us uh, to to keep the OKC pick so that the so that the that was the Netherlands pick, right? So he wasn't traded for a freak, freak first round pick. Is that what it was, or am I mixing it up? No, no, no. I'm mixing it it like was. No, I think it was the uh, Markel Fultz pick. It was the Markel Fultz, right? It was Jonathan yeah. Simmons. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. Um, do, and and so you, he's just he's just great, and it's it's I feel incredibly lucky that he's here, and it's it's what it, the team is like. As much as there's, he's not like the leader of the team. It seems like the team has sort of like bottled his joy, and uh, like the whole. The whole team plays with it, and it's not just him, but it seems like he, he's like embodies the spirit of it. Not to, um, not to to pick guys against each other, but would would you have more confidence at this point? Because I saw people discussing this. Would you have more confidence in this point? In if you had to pick one in the playoffs, would you pick Maxi or Shake? Uh, I I think it depends on the situation. I think if if you're trying to. If Simmons is on the court, I would probably say Shake, um, because I still trust Shake's jumper. Although I think Maxi's shot has been really, really good since the All Star break. Shake, by the way, who had like a terrible start to the season from three, ended up shooting thirty five percent from three. So not not horrible, not great, but not as good as he should be because he should be in the Hollis range. But mm-hmm. uh, after a bad start, he did bounce back. Um, I think it's I think it's gonna be matchup dependent. Like I, I think. I think Maxi has really brought it on the defensive end too. Um, 
he'll still make dumb fouls and stuff, and and he's small, uh, so nobody he's really small. like yeah, res- yeah. respects him like contesting on stuff. And Shake is Shake does have like a six, I think six ten wingspan, um, so he can get uh, bothersome guys. Um, I'd still go Shake, but I th- I think it's pretty close, and I think there are some some situations where you'd go like we just need a little a little guy flying around here, so so let's put Tyrese in. Um, what else do I have? Well, do you want to, I, before we, we, uh, get to Jake, I wanted to do some end of season awards and, and talk about potential playoff opponents. I have um, so much more about this game. Let me really quickly run through it. Oh boy. You're, Come on. This it's, podcast gotta, is going to be This is my kind of game. This is a summer league game. I, I didn't I, get I, summer league last year you know and what? this is upsetting. I give you credit. We're only, do, we're not doing it until this point in the podcast. We started off with the right stuff. So go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. What else? Uh, Isaiah Joe. Uh, Come yeah. on. He's great. He's been doing He's exactly who he was at Arkansas, which is flying around screens, being willing to take threes uh, in volume, um, has a lot of arc on his threes so he can get it over guys. He's not He's not too tall. He's like 6'5", so it's not like he can shoot over anybody, but because he shoots it high and gets some good lift on it, he, he can get it off. Um, and he's got some ball skills. I think he, he's obviously skinny. We talk about that every time. But, like, he works defensively. He takes charges he gets in the way in a good way, like positioning-wise on screens, and I think feel like he draws a lot of uh, Dwight Howard-type offensive fouls on the other team on screens. Um, and I think when Corkmans gets paid $12 million per year next year, There's uh, no Isaiah chance. Joe can absolutely step in and 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 improve from where he is now and 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 take up those minutes on on cheap on a cheap rookie uh, second-year contract. Can we talk uh, about B-Ball Paul getting blocked by the rim twice? Yeah. I mean, he's exact, B-Ball Paul also exactly who I thought he'd be. He's, I, I think when they drafted him, I, I described him as like Rashawn with some fad. and Because yeah. there's just some weirdness. He, he's just a little bit off physically. His limbs don't always work together. Um, but there's also like creation abilities and instinctual passing and uh, good hands that he just sort of, and he runs the floor well and he runs the floor hard. Um, he had that late game, uh, like hustle, steal, and save, very Matisse-esque. Uh, he, when he's not getting blocked by the rim, he can finish well. Little hooks, little like two-handed dunks. He's just, he's just good. I think, I think, uh, I still don't really trust the shot, even though he shot over forty percent from three in the in the G League. Um, but I, I believe in him having a role on the team next year for sure. Um, and if he can keep improving the shot, I think that he certainly could be the long-term answer um, at the backup five. Uh, with Joel, it's, he's he's an absolute delight, an absolute uh, delight, and I love how much everybody else on the team loves him. And like, there's some guys that are weird. I feel like he's almost Corkmaz esque yeah. in that like guys around the team, like veterans on the team, are just amused by his presence. Yeah, they think he's hilarious. So yeah. when he does something good, they're they're fucking or they bad. Love, they're, they're all about. They it. love it. That's great. I'll like compare him to. Kurt Thomas tonight. I was like, yeah, what, that's the, wrong. what are you talking about? That wasn't a good, that wasn't a good comment. <laughs> He's nothing like Kurt Thomas. No. All right, who else? Uh, Rajon Tucker. Come on. Oh, well. Come on. I've, uh, I've loved him since the first time I saw him. He's yeah, a process he's, sixer. You he's know? a very very much a process sixer. He jumped onto a lady in the first row, which is great, which reminded me of Embiid jumping over uh, Regina King uh, during a game, I guess, last year. Um and he, the ladies seemed to be <laughs> happy about it. Her, her family was having a good time. Uh, and Rajon seemed to apologize, which I thought was nice. Uh, 
he had that huge like on the next possession I think had the a huge one-handed alley oop from Shake I loved. He's he's really like a slightly smaller KJ McDaniel's with some functional handles. Like he does have ball handling ability. Um not exquisite, but like he can get places with his athleticism, which I think there's there's something to unpack there if he if you can like clean up some of the rowdiness in, in his game. Not all the rowdiness, just some of the rowdiness. He really does fall asleep off ball and defense all the time. But he can get up, and he's physical. And if you can, I mean, they, they Doc has put him in for a couple one-on-one uh, defense stop minutes in, in various times, which I like. I like giving him a little taste here and there. But uh, I, I'm not super confident that he's, a, he's an NBA player long-term, but... The athleticism is there, and there's some ball handling, and he's not a he's not a total non-zero as a shooter. So, um, it's a very exciting uh, final game for me. I'm happy that Anthony Tolliver got uh, three threes in. Good for him. Do we he, need to do Anthony Tolliver? Do we, we need to. We need to. I thought Mike Scott had a couple nice games. That uh, after Whoa. I after I said there, there's nothing he's good at. It's everyone's favorite time. Their favorite award, the By Nature Pet Food Soft Shit Award, given out by one Mike Levin. At the end, though, I got to talk about the food first. Okay. And then I was going to give Rebel the soft shit award as he ate something off the fucking ground. And for the last full day, you know, by nature can stop a lot of soft shit, but not when you eat something off the ground that you're not supposed sure. to. So, sure. Yeah. But, uh, but in general, by nature will stop the soft shit because it, uh, it is going to give your, your dog or cat healthy bowels. Why? Because it's healthy food. It's good food. If you're eating right, then your, your number two looks right. It's the same thing with pets. How is it better? Better ingredients. The best ingredients. Not the normal sort of ingredients that you hear in pet food. You don't hear about apple cider vinegar in pet food. You don't hear about spinach or blueberries or ginger or coconut oil. Premium proteins. All this stuff. All these super ingredients. These super proteins, the super probiotic, super fusion is what they call it. And then they cook it the right way. Don't be giving your dog or cat shitty food. It's not worth it. You're saving like 15%. What are you saving? Make your, your, your pet healthy. They slow cook the pet food so it stays more nutrient rich so your, your pet can absorb more of those nutrients and be healthier. The company that owns By Nature been around for 40 years. No recalls. If you deal in pet food, like I do, I'm a pet food dealer, you hear about recalls all the time, not with a company that owns by nature. No matter what age your dog or cat is, no matter what, if it's indoor cat, outdoor cat, whatever, no matter what size, by nature has you covered. It's healthy, so it's good for all of them. Won the Pet Business Magazine Award for Top Dog and Cat Food Line in 2019. All right, here's the deal. 20% off your first order just to try it. Give it a try. I promise your pet will like it. 20% off your first order with promo code 20RTRS at two separate places, Chewy and Amazon. So you go to Chewy, you get Amazon, you put by nature in the cart, use promo code 20RTRS, you get 20% off. Mike, the soft shit award goes to. And it pains me to do this. Oh, no. Because we know that we're big fans and we only wish the best. But I... I'm going to have to give it to the Boston Celtics franchise organization. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, because for years you've had the bit, um, which has gotten stale and then refreshed again because it came back around and then stale again so many times. But it's been long enough that the Brad Stevens on the hot seat bit has 
basically become true. <laughs> and I have to give them the soft shit award for for uh, for making you making your bits valid. I will say, uh, my buddy, my good friend of mine, Trevor, is a Celtics fan, and he wants the Celtics to lose by a hundred in the play-in, so that they can get embarrassed and show Danny Ainge just how much work he has ahead of him and, quote, turn the heat up on Brad. Oh, man. Really? It's like, going, it's going hot right seat. Yeah, real hot, hot seat. seat. Indeed, yeah. Oh, now, they could, if they, they, uh, I'm very excited about the plan. So there's a chance that they, you know, lose to the Wizards, which would be very fun on the Wizards. And Nets would be a second round series, first round series, which would be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then beat either uh, Indiana or Charlotte. And then it would right. be. Uh, Boston, Philly, and the one eight, which would be very nice, and I would like yeah. that. I would like that yeah. very much. Wow, I can't believe the hot seat's actually happening. Yeah, man, finally. just really great After for all me. this time. Great for my brand. All right, uh, the soft shit award goes to the Boston Celtics franchise. The your pet is going to get no more soft shit by eating by nature pet food. Again, promo code twenty RTRS. All right, let's do it. Um, and George Hill, just like such a stabilizing, normal, normal type person. Um, just absolutely doing all the normal stuff. It's so weird after years of the Sixers acquiring guys and them forgetting how to do any host of skills, um, even the skills that they're known for. George Hill coming and being exactly George Hill. His George Hillness is like impenetrable to any Sixers disease he could have acquired. Um, so I'm, he is, so I'm very happy about that. He is a little hesitant to shoot. Sure. A l- little hesitant. A little sure. more hesitant. Maybe it's the thumb. Maybe that's what it is. But he seems a little more hesitant to shoot, to me, to my eye. It's, that's, and to me, that's like a, there's a narrow line to walk, right? Like, I think about it with Seth. I wish Seth shot more because he's one of the best shooters of all time. But he's one of the best shooters of all time because he... So he doesn't shoot more. Doesn't shoot more. He doesn't take rushed, mm-hmm. bad, overly contested shots. And so it's a, it's a mix. And it's like... If you can get a better shot, then I'm then I'm fine passing it up for that. But too often, it when the Sixers are are stuck in the mud, it is like Tobias passing up an open a pretty open three for like a contested you know turnaround 19 footer or something like that. And so if you can get a better look out of it, if you can attack the basket and get a, get like a, a layup or anything, then it's fine. But uh, it's when it's it's when it's the like just take take the best shot under 10 seconds if you get a decent look like I. I need them to take that shot, and too often, too often they don't. But I was, I was happy. George looked good tonight, and just always making the solid pass and the right read and everything like that. It's good. And that's all I have for this game. But I did want to, I did want to shout out New Orleans because did you watch that Knicks Celtics game? Your Knicks? I, I, I didn't. I was driving around North Jersey looking for a house, so I did not see it. I did. So it was, it was a Celtics didn't play anybody really. Yeah. Um, but uh, Tremont Waters uh, and Jabari Parker brought them back into the game. Grant Williams played well. And then uh, it got close late, and the Knicks started just throwing up a lot of clunky Knicks shots. Um, and the Celtics had a bunch of drives to the rim that I think Nerlens had like three blocks on like two possessions um, that saved the game for them and allowed the Sixers to, and we'll talk about seeding now, but allowed the Sixers to avoid any of, uh, any of Miami in the first, se- first two rounds, which not that I was as scared of them as you are, but I'd rather... Milwaukee face Miami than us face Miami. So yeah, I appreciate Nerlens for that. Nerlens sleeper cell, Alec Burke sleeper cell. Uh, very happy to have them. I, I did see a, a lot of the same people today cheering for the Knicks that were like, 
well, I'm not scared of the Heat. And then it was like, please yeah, win, I'm please a, win, I'm please. Not, I think the Heat are a better team. So I'd, ra- yeah. I'd rather, especially with Milwaukee, I'd rather like get in their heads and make that like a slugfest. And same with Brooklyn, if if uh, if Washington ends up winning that game, and then and Beal and Westbrook just get in their head and stuff. And what Washington's so interesting, man. They just have a lot of guys that put pressure on the rim. Friggin' Ish Smith putting pressure on the rim, just like what making you, stuff happen. It's. Do you want to do you want to talk about playoff stuff now, or do you want to do end of season now and then playoffs and then get, uh, and then get playoffs? To Jake? Let's do playoffs. Okay, okay. So who is according to my math? It seems like they could play anybody, but depending on who wins that first game, who would, which which team would you like to see the least? I I really want um, Washington to play Brooklyn in the seven okay. two. So I'm going to be rooting for Washington over Boston, and then I probably uh, existentially and and spiritually, if we're if we're talking about Brett Brown, I mm-hmm. want Boston in the in the first round and I want to, to, to beat them 4-0 and I want to feel that and I want them to feel us and get revenge for that. Obviously they're not at their best, but the Sixers weren't, weren't at their best last season when they, when they got swept. Well, now, I think just like emotionally I need, I need that on the road to a, like if they, if they play Charlotte, cause it, cause now if, if it's, if it's like Charlotte Atlanta and then Eastern conference finals, I think there's going to be a little bit, I'm not going to take anything for granted and I'm not going to uh, feel any, I'm not going to feel any, uh, I'm not going to apologize for how the seeding turned out. I'm not going to apologize for the Phillies beating the Rays in 08. Like, it's a World Series. Like, I'll take anything. Get The Sixers have been to the Eastern Conference Finals once in my life. I'll get there how we get there. Um, but, but I would like to feel some redemption of beating Boston in the first round and putting them in the grave and allowing Brad's seat to get even hotter. And... Uh, and that would feel good for me. So I, I, I hope, as much as it be, I'll probably end up rooting for the Hornets because I think they're a fun team to root for just watching those games, which I'm excited to watch um, on Tuesday night. Um, but I think that's my perfect world. It is Washington, Brooklyn, and, and Sixers, Celtics. Now, if, this, if Washington loses the first game and wins the second game, then we get Washington. Yeah. Right, okay. So... Yeah, and and like I'm sure I will eat these words, but but playing like something like Charlotte and then Atlanta or the Knicks is is a is a comical road to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, it is they'll, a relative cakewalk. I, I yeah. they're the Sixers. We've seen them do crazier stuff. Like yes, it's not perfect, but but yeah, and Atlanta's definitely a really good offensive team, and they have they have impressive players, and the Knicks are going to beat the shit out of them for for seven games or five. Hawks games. are frauds. Um, they're just young. I think that they're good, um, but they're but they're young. And the Sixers should beat. But honestly, the Sixers should beat anybody. Whoever is there, they should. Beat. Yes. Um, but but as who, far as like who I want to feel, who I want, to, I would like a. It would be cool, from like an old school Eastern Conference to just beat Boston and New York on the way to whoever whoever's left standing in the Eastern Conference final. And I would say that the team, not that I would be scared of them. I'm not scared of them, but the team. That in the one eight matchup, that I would be like, uh, we could definitely lose the first game here is Washington. Oh, interesting. Like, because I Washington, say Indiana. No, they're that that coach stuff. They're just such a fucking. They seem like a mess right now. Yeah. I I, I don't know if they like have it, but mm-hmm. Washington, coming off a win in the 
playing, I just think right now is sort of feeling themselves a little bit. And, yeah. you know, Brad Beal has a lot to prove to Kent Bazemore, I guess. Yeah. So, so. Yeah, I would be, I wouldn't be scared of anybody. You got to beat whoever's there. And they're going to be, the Sixers are going to be heavily favored no matter what and should be. Um, but if it's if one of those teams in the 9-10, so Charlotte or Indiana, if they win two straight games to get into the eight seed, then I think that that's momentum and that's confidence, especially if it's a, especially if it's a young team like Charlotte because they they don't know any better, and Lamelo is excellent and and could just like control the tempo, control the game. Terry Rozier has no conscience. Devontae Graham has no conscience. Miles Bridges has no conscience. Like some, if they just get hot, like it could be, it could be less of a cakewalk than I want it to be. But it, it shouldn't it shouldn't be a problem. And no. if it is, then then they deserve it to lose. Before we get to Jake, the 2021 um, season awards brought to you by Kinetic Skateboarding. Summer's coming. You're going to need some shorts, some new sneakers. Come on. You know, maybe a skateboard if you're a skateboarder. KineticSkateboarding.com. KineticSkateboarding.com. Saw a bunch of sneakers I wanted this week on the Instagram. Their Instagram is dangerous to me. Uh, promo code Dave Silver for 9.1% off your first order. All right, first award, the NJE MVP, the non-Joel Embiid MVP. Who would you give that to for the Sixers this year? I think I think you got to give it to Tobias. I think you have yeah. to. I think he's been he's been great. Uh, definitely the hottest he was was the first month or two of the season, but it never fully tailed off. They counted on him to hit big shots to stabilize the second unit. Um, he did great. He's just the the team is sort of made in his image. Uh, he's all vibes at the beginning of the game. He's like I think I feel like I, I want to give him credit for bringing Joel and Ben into the fold of, of being not just like the two best players in the team, but also part of the team. You know, in, in as far as like the team concept, and they're having fun in pregames and stuff. I'd give Danny and and Dwight credit for that as well. Um, but Tobias has been has been the dude. He's been every bit. Very like a wisp away from fifty forty ninety, um, just un- yeah, in- incredibly unexpected. I give it to him too. I, the numbers after the All Star break look similar to the first half. The eye test is not quite the same, but yeah. but who knows? All right, most improved player. Who would you give that to? From year to year, or yeah, I, you can't give it to Maxi. Doesn't why? Well, I, I would. I think Tobias is the pretty obvious answer. Oh, I think it's Embiid. Uh, yeah, okay, I can I can make the case for that because he's got. I think Embiid was also very good last year, so from going from like great to elite uh, mm-hmm. is, is is a big jump. I guess it probably matters more for the. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe you're right. I was thinking it matters more for the team that Tobias went from like a contract you'll have to throw <laughs> something onto to get rid of to like Maybe borderline all star. Um, yeah. Which is which is a huge deal, but but you're right. Embiid being the best player in the league uh, when he's on, I think is, I mean, it's a huge development. It's it's unbelievable. It's the best. Most surprising player. Um. Uh. Do you want me to do it first? Yeah. No? I don't think I was surprised by. I mean, Tobias, Tobias again, again. <laughs> Tobias sweeping the awards. Yeah, it's just it's everything, me. all of it. I give it to Dwight. I just like sure, yeah, that's fair. I just thought he was everyone's gonna hate him, and they didn't. They like him. They all like him. So I'm gonna give it to I'm gonna give it to Dwight. Yeah, I would I I would uh, 
agree with that and throw a little nugget to uh, to our boy Furkan Korkmaz mm-hmm. because uh, he's made himself into an NBA player and he's obviously going to get $12 million a year from someone. He's not. Um, but as far as like defending and uh, using his length to poke the ball out and, and be a consistent shooter and still, against all odds, attempt that floater and the pump fake being one of the biggest weapons in the league, um, he's just a really... He's a good player, and he is one of the few players in the team who, in the rotation at least, who who chucks and needs to because he has he shoots the ball high, he's tall, and he can get get it off against anybody. And when he's hot, he's electric. It's I mean it's the best. It's a really easy team to root for. And after last year, that what a breath of fresh air that is. Most disappointing player. It's gonna be tough um, for you right now. <sighs> I don't think anyone. I think you could say some people might say Shake, but I think that to he was the sixth man, and sixth man have like ups and downs, and he ended up totally fine for his role. Was he elite? No, but as far as like on his contract, what they needed from him, I think that he was he was very good. Um, disappointing. I mean, Mike's got going through a a stretch of like not. Not even really like looking at the basket from three was tough, um, and it would have been nice for then. Um, uh, I don't have. I don't really have one. I think. I. I guess you could also say that maybe Ben not being consistent on the offensive end, um, having stretches where he looked like holy shit, he's taking the leap, and then sort of settling in as like yeah, he gets guys involved in transition and makes makes other guys' jobs easier, but. Um, still doesn't do a ton of creating for himself and uh, has not added much of a jump shot to his game, although the last couple of weeks it seems like he's more willing to take little fadeaways. Um, I, could, I could hear that, but I think you know they're the one seed, um, and that's a huge turnaround from last year, so the fact that nobody really disappointed is kind of baked in. I, I would give it to Shake. I don't think he was altogether bad. I just expected more. You know, okay. So. I, I, again, I, I don't think he was bad, but based on what my expectation is, which is what I think disappointing was, I, I, that that was that was mine. The best transaction that includes all draft picks, trades, signings, etc. Uh, and we are we counting Doc or Daryl or no? No, no, count okay. only only players. Um. Uh. They were they were all really good. <laughs> like they were all, nothing was brilliant. Like n- legitimately, nothing was brilliant. That's I think the simplest thing because Daryl like came in with a reputation of being you know he takes these Who's big th- swings. <laughs> what do you say? It's not a real. It's not like you're voting on the Oscars. Like no, but I'm being honest. Pay. I don't think I don't think that there's one that was more vital than the other. I think trading a first round pick with Horford for Danny was like. Not a straight up home run to to but like that's what you had to do. Um, Danny's an expiring contract and to attach a first round pick to a guy that they just signed the year before like sucks. But he was certainly very very helpful and way more helpful than 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 Horford was with the starters last year. I think Josh for Seth was like a total make sense type of trade. The draft picks were all like very. He didn't move around. He just like made the selections and they were all very good value for where they are. I think there's three NBA players there. Uh, one starter, I believe, and uh, and the George Hill trade was like that's a lot of second round picks to get for George Hill, but that's I think 
he's very very helpful to the team. So I think it's just like make like simplicity, like make like doing the obvious stuff. Um, it's 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 not. I, I I really don't value any one of those over over the other ones. They're all like absolute, just like base hits the opposite way. I think getting rid of Horford and getting Danny Green for Horford was sure. the best one. The the arguments we made for that is that it makes Joel the happiest. So I think maybe that yeah. is maybe that was the way to do it. Yep. Um, worst moment, I think we could all say is the Embiid. If we're just talking about a moment where it seemed like he might be done for the year. Yeah, that was tough. Do you have a Do you have one moment that sticks out as the best one? Uh, I love the Tobias shot against the Lakers. Yeah, when the when the rest of the guys were shoving him and stuff. Um, any any time when, because Embiid was just dominant the whole season, and like it was just beautiful to watch, and the starters just steamrolled guys. But the the best the best part of the season is like how engaged the, I'm going to be like vibes guy, but how engaged the bench was when the when they were, well, the starters are when they were on the bench. And, like, when Dwight was doing stuff and everybody got pumped up on the bench and, like, B-Ball Paul doing stuff and, like, Embiid rolling on the ground. On the, the it may be, it might be the B-Ball Paul Euro step dunk. That, that is helped. a great, I was going to say that one. I thought you were going to laugh. It's a pretty that was, solid one. But, yeah, like, or, like, Maxi's had a number of, like, beautiful dunks and plays and stuff. I thought Shake actually had a really gorgeous little spin move, like, lefty floater at the beginning of tonight's game. Um It was just a good, it was just a really good season. And it was a very, very normal season. Like, this is... This is one of the best teams well, in the league, and they just took care of business. It was, it was a normal season. There it was, was normal season. Find Everybody's a, wearing masks. There's no one in the crowd. Yes, for for a deeply abnormal season, it was a really <laughs> shockingly normal season for just a good team that like has veterans, has like guys that know what they're doing, and had a bunch of young guys that were fun to watch at the end of the bench. Like it's just, it's great. And they, I, I don't know after today because the Lakers are still playing, but as of yesterday, they had overtaken the Lakers to have the best defensive rating in the league. Yeah, and About they like played like it. Two. Yeah, they like having three of the best defense, three of the best, three of the top like ten defensive players in the league in in Ben Joel and Matisse. Um, they should like they should be the best defense in the league, and uh, and Danny's obviously also very good, and George Hill as well. So, um, they I'm excited to see how like that ratchets up in the playoffs because I do think like they are the best defensive team in the league without going all out all the time, and so to see. How how much better it could get is 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 pretty exciting. It's just it it should this it should be this year. It should this should be the year. It should be the year. We can't assume it's going to keep happening or everybody's going to stay healthy or it's going to be better in the future, or whatever. Or you know, next year Brooklyn's going to have even more time together. Whatever it is, there's new teams coming up all the time. Like they should win the championship this year. They should. It should happen. I think they are they are one step away. Is is my guess. It wouldn't shock me but this seems like the step before the step and they but who knows you know as sam said progress is not always linear so we'll see uh you want to get to jake uh a couple things i want to say uh before before uh we get to jake just a, a couple uh updates on on my end uh the WNBA season started and it's great so far a lot of fun a lot of fun basketball to be played 25th season which is a big deal the NBA's 25th season was in, like, what, 1973, when they were, like, people were just, like, doing coke on the sidelines and stuff, and it was crazy. Uh, so it's very cool for them that they are playing in a league as, as good as it is. Uh, I want there to be a Philadelphia WNBA team, and so it's frustrating that there's not because 
there's only 12 teams, which is insane. So like the talent level is so many teams, so many good players do not make the league and have to get cut because there's just not enough space for it. So I hope they expand. Um, so my allegiances are, is up for sale. If anyone wants to pitch me on it, I'm somewhere between like Chicago and uh, Connecticut. I really like Dewana Bonner and John Quell Jones and the Phoenix Mercury because Tarasi and Sky Diggins. Um, and also some updates on my end. You had a good job update uh, yourself last podcast. I, I have to say, I have to shout out my. I don't. I don't think we even said it. To be quite honest, we didn't. No. Or you say it. You say yours first. <laughs> no, that's all right. Go ahead. Mike is taking the job as king of New York. He's the mayor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He beat Andrew Yang and his weird, yep. weird Bitcoin platform. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Does and, Andrew uh, Yang have a Bitcoin platform? Probably. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Whatever. Um, right, go ahead. And uh, uh, Alyssa of my apartment fame um, uh, got staffed on uh, a new HBO Max show that Mindy Kaling is producing. Uh, that's an animated spinoff of Scooby Doo uh, for like an adult animated spinoff about Velma uh, in high school. So it's very exciting. Uh, and that'll be out in a year or two, so we'll we'll bug you about that. But it's it's very it's very cool, very exciting for long road for Alyssa to get this, and so I'm I'm just very proud of her. Um, and I was also on her podcast talking about the Real Housewives of New York table flipping, um, and I talked about why the Housewives is uh, as much of a cinematic universe as Marvel, and I stand true to that. I believe that. So just a little updates for the ladies, because you can't forget about them. I'm I believe at one point you called me woman guy. So uh, I will retain that title. Congratulations to Alyssa. Thank you. That is good. That yeah, is good. That's cool. All right. As we've talked about, we are considering suing the league and Dave Silver for what they did to Sam Hinkie in retrospect with the Sixers with the number one seed. And even though it isn't officially a personal injury, I think you could say that there has been pain and suffering. And if you're going to sue somebody because of personal injury, your guy is Adam Kornblau. Kornblau and Kornblau, the official law firm of the process. 40 years, 40 years, more than 40 years, Kornblau and Kornblau has been the premier boutique personal injury law firm in the Delaware Valley, started by his parents. It's him and his mom now, has helped out tons of rookie listeners, not just with personal injury law, law, um, law cases, but, but anything, really. He's sort of our lawyer to go to no matter what. I've had him look at contracts for me. It's not really what he does. <laughs> Maybe that was a mistake. Maybe I should have mm-hmm. gone. <laughs> Maybe I should have gone to somebody specifically. But in any case, he's helped out tons of Ricky listeners with tons of different issues, but personal injury is what they specialize in. A medical malpractice is their number one, but any anything. If you've been injured, if you're hurt at all, and you think you may have a case, um, uh, car accidents, slip and fall, medical malpractice, injured at work, any of those things, Cornblow and Cornblow and Cornblow and Cornblow and Cornblow. Uh, give them a call or shoot them an email. It doesn't cost you anything. 215-576-7200. Ask for Adam. Cornblow, the second Ricky sponsor, I believe. The second ever Ricky sponsor. LL the first, yeah. Cornblow the second. Yep. Yeah. Uh, 215-576-7200. Ask for Adam or email Cornblow at Cornblow and Cornblow.com. Oh, that's right, because he was a counselor at your camp, right? That's not why it was we didn't figure that out until oh well later. oh right but right I, I don't know why i just connected this right yeah. anyway uh cornblau at cornblau and cornblau.com cornblau and cornblau k-o-r-n-b-l-a-u the official law firm of the process we are joined by a uh, an old friend a a trusted confidant and a writer of a book 
Jake's book, Jake Fisher's book, Built to Lose, came out this week. Congratulations on writing a whole book. A book. Thank you very much. A whole book. I used to, I used to make you do recaps that were, I was asking, like maybe like 350 words back on Liberty Ballers days. Uh, and I didn't even, I don't think you were paid for that. And neither was I barely. So uh, that's a good way to start the interview. I hope you make more money <laughs> on this book than you make working, <laughs> writing for Liberty Ballers. Jake, hello. How's it going? Doing well, guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's, uh, I think the most I maxed out at LB was 100 bucks a month for running the, the Facebook page back in the day so there you go hopefully we can outrank that there you go. Very but, pro- uh, yeah profitable times i've uh, i've been a long time listener so appreciate you guys having me on and uh excited to relitigate as always of course this is really we're looking for any chance we can get to to relitigate it and and before we get into the book itself um because we do have some questions a lot of fun new nuggets that i want to ask you about um the sixers what uh, I would still call the Process Sixers, um, as they should be known as their full title. Uh, just finished number one in the Eastern Conference. Um, eight, about eight days, right? Eight years to the day that Hinky was hired was the official clincher two days ago. Yes. Um, well, uh, yes. Yep. Which is a pretty big deal, Jake. Your your feelings about that, and uh, and how you just how you feel like that those eight years coalescing into at least right now, a first-place finish, but hopefully a, hopefully more. Um, b- how much that is built into the, you know, the national landscape of, of the, like, history of the league. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think, I think the book's title says, you know, the tanking right changed the league forever. I think the most direct way is, of course, the lottery reform and the play-in tournament that, you know, we're seeing all this seeding happen right now. But in terms of Philly specifically, like, as I've been doing this media tour for the book – Everyone keeps asking me, did the process work? And the answer I always say is, like, this goal the entire time was to be a perennial contender, right? Like, Dare always talks about that 5% um, benchmark to separate teams that have a real chance at claiming that championship versus teams that are just kind of hanging around and doing something. And I think the goal was always to have this type of team that could be there year after year after year. And this is just the start. I mean, and Bede's finally playing like an MVP-type candidate. Ben Simmons has kind of realized his defensive potential as the Swiss Army knife that he can be guarding one through five, and they finally have a front office leadership in place that can maximize those guys as supplementary players. So it seems like the start of the next chapter, and it feels like an absolute culmination for sure, and I think anyone who disagrees is kind of missing the point of this altogether. That's Hinky right. Is kind of, Hinky's kind of like the wilt of of executives like changing the lead you know changing the rules so he couldn't do you know what i mean like like there's not a ton of executives in the history of the league that have had the league basically change the rules so they couldn't succeed that way anymore yeah that's a great point i mean it's it's still happening right like okc as we've as we've texted about spike is doing stuff that's you know more brazen and audacious than anything hinky ever did sending al horford home for half the year the rockets have john wall you know, sitting courtside while Kevin Porter Jr. just takes his role and he's sitting there happy clapping his hands. But, you know, the narrative around that team, which that that word is kind of a word that I've come to hate in this, you know, basketball media lexicon that we have today. But it's true. I mean, the fact that they were that 15-16 team, their pursuit potentially being the worst team ever, as we can talk about later on with some details um, that I have, um, you know, that was stealing headlines from Golden State as they were becoming 
the best team of all time, 73-9, and nine, and, and the league did not like that. But here we are. The, the, the strategy clearly had this dividends, and we're still seeing, you know, all these years later, 2021 is considered to be the best draft class since 2014. And sure enough, all these teams are lining up in the top of the tankathon standing. So I think uh, the strategy was clear, and I think his, his Hanky's uh, fingerprints are pretty indelible on this league history. Do you think, like, because there are, you named Oklahoma City, Houston, a number of other teams have, you know, the Sixers notoriously during the Hinkie's three-year stretch were only the worst team in the league once uh, the third, that third year. Um, do you think that there's some Philadelphia-specific reason why it became such a uh, hot button sensation that that be, that polarized things on on so many sides of it because there have been bad teams before, there were bad te- there are bad teams now there are bad teams then but for some reason, I mean it obviously isn't New York or L A but do you think had Hinky done this in X you know uh, small market team from you know twelve to thirty as far as small market do you think it would have happened as much was it fil- something about Philadelphia or uh, was it something about the Sixers? online community that that made it louder and worse i think a combination of all those factors i think the fact that philly you know is the number four media market in the country definitely you know boosted up this storyline i mean yeah the thunder are not leading sports center like a philadelphia team is outside of when they have kevin Durant, russell westbrook and james harden the other thing i think being the philadelphia market you know as as spike knows as well as anybody with the wip you know you know the the role it has in, in framing the discussion every week you know, I really do think Sam recognizes it today. His, his lack of transparency. I mean, he wasn't transparent. He wasn't. He wasn't not transparent. He was very clear what he was going to do. But speaking only on the record at the deadline and at the draft, I think we've talked about it over and over and over again. That you know, it, it fanned the flames to the fire he was already starting, and I think it made it kind of into this you know, smoke stack that was billowing all across the entire NBA that was, you know, impossible to ignore. And he could have done what he, he could have made concessions. Derek and I were talking about it um, at my little event I had in, in, uh, at Liberty Grounds um, last week where, I mean, he, he knew he could have made concessions in real time and he just didn't. And I think that ultimately, I mean, I wrote it in the book. I think that ultimately was his downfall. If he, you know, put a face to it. I mean, Thad Young even said it to me on the record too, that, you know, you have to kind of understand that this is an entertainment business, and part of that entertainment business is spood feeding your messaging and your strategy to your fan base. And I think that was ultimately his biggest weakness and the reason he's no longer in the league. Those are two different things, I think. You're saying to the fan base. The fan base, at least the most vocal part of it, was cool yeah. with it and was actively defending it. You're saying he needed to spoon feed, like, the local and national reporters. True. I think it was more national than local, to be honest with you. I, I, I think if everybody in Philadelphia got mad, I don't think Silver st- steps in. People are fucking mad in Philadelphia True. every day, and the commissioner doesn't step in. <laughs> and know? I will say, to Mike's You're point and, and Spike's point, as I've done more rumor-type mongering crap for Bleacher Report this year— yeah, the way the national guys want to get their information fed and, and who which GMs and which executives are doing that and you know helping you know feed their scoops, I mean, that definitely plays a factor too, absolutely. Do you think that this is one of those things, the tanking issue, that I wish I could come up with a metaphor for it, that everybody in the league offices and everybody in the teams knows there's nothing they, can, they will actually do anything about? 
and they just that every fix is just to satiate the public, or do you think they actually have an interest in changing what goes? On? I, I agree that they're they're just trying to satiate the public. There there was multiple executives I talked to for the book who said when they passed reform in 2017, they were only doing it to kind of puff their chest out and put up their fist in the air and say we fixed tanking. I mean, Daryl even jokingly tweeted at Sam. Remember on that day tanking is solved. That's kind of all you need to know, I think, to assess what it really is on the inside. The fact that it's no longer a number yeah. one storyline is all they cared about. They, they only had an issue when it was leading SportsCenter and leading PTI and all that type of stuff. Now that it's you know a COVID-riddled season and th there, there aren't owners complaining about lack of fans in the stands because there aren't any anyway, or the fact that it's not in Philadelphia, it's happening in these smaller markets, they don't care at all. They only really care that it was creating this apparent black eye on the public image. Yeah, that sucks. Uh, <laughs> I do think uh, you said like you said Hinky, like if Hinky played ball a little bit more, whether that's spoon feeding a story or like, you know, the, the famous example that's that's been talked about in a bunch of places, including your book, is uh, Andy Miller, an agent who uh, represented Kristaps Porzingis before the draft wouldn't let Sam meet with Porzingis. Wouldn't let him work out, wouldn't let him even talk to him, like kept him away, lied about food poisoning or something. Like, do you think had Hinky signed one of Andy Miller's clients, like Jeff Teague or something, to like a mediocre deal, that that would have been enough to be like, all right, he's, one, he's cool, we're fine. Like, do you think that it was like as simple as that instead of like saving a roster spot for... Anybody on the shirt that nobody remembers, uh, had he just given a little bit more money to somebody, Andy Miller's client, yeah, it, it would have. He'd still be here, honestly. I don't know if that would have been that direct, but for sure, agents were absolutely pit. I mean, they're talking about it right now with OKC having this fifty-five million dollars in the upcoming salary room, and they're probably not going to use it. I think the Andy Miller specific case was also Nerlens related, right? Like, I have the the yep. book starts chapter one. I bring you right to Nerlens Noel's draft table as John Calipari is losing his mind as Nerlens is falling from one to two down to six, and it kind of. Was to, I, I did that to kind of to intentionally mirror how the Kristaps situation happened because Nerlens did fall all the way down because partially because his representation refused to have him work out anywhere besides the top two teams. So once he fell out of the equation, you know Washington's not picking him. They already had their their sights set on Otto Porter on number four that year. Now I'm trying. Now I'm starting to draw a blank. But whatever. They, he wasn't given. It was, oh, it was Charlotte actually. And they picked Curly Zeller over him. Phoenix picked Alex Len over him because they were and they were scrambling to actually give those teams information. And he did the same thing with Kristaps later on. But I think partially he did that because he didn't want to have another center at Nerlens' position in, in that whole type of thing. Because you know, as we have in the book and as you know, Yaron's book kind of detailed already too. Nerlens had all those inter interdisciplinary issues as a rookie, and I think Andy was just trying to stray away from that situation. But overall, yeah, agents were not pleased with Sam by any account. That whole 2015 offseason, the players' union was pushing them not to take that non-guaranteed deal. That was like the Hinky special was a, like a number one top topic of the agendas of the agent summit meetings every that whole summer. And it turned out Rashawn's yeah. deal as a second-round pick was the richest contract Hinky gave out that entire offseason. So, yeah, agents were definitely pissed, but I don't think it was because of, you know, jock, jockeying around with that. I think it was just overall he was staunch in that negotiating style and he wouldn't back off of it. I, 
Oh, go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. To that point, you did the in the book. You talk. You have a really uh, delightful section uh, in that 2015-16 season, um, which is Ish's second run of uh, Sixers players celebrating that the season. The after I think it was after the trade deadline, right, where they didn't they hadn't reached the salary floor because the Joel Anthony trade fell through due to Donatus Matayunas failing mm-hmm. his physical, which is just like a deli- uh, which which forced the Sixers to cut Jakar, which sucks. Um, but like the, that selection, first of all, that sequence of names just on its own is just a <laughs> delightful like four years ago type, five years ago type of time. Um, and Carl Landry being the guy to be like, we're going to the salary floor, like yeah, we fucking did it. We're getting to split this, like, what? how much money was it that they were it was splitting? It like $3 million, like, something like that, yeah. $3 million, like, uh, whatever, 11 or 12 different yeah. ways. And then, and then uh, sadly, Sonny Weems being the guy to uh, the Sixers claim him on waivers and then everybody being mean to Sonny yeah. Weems because it means that they don't get to split a couple hundred thousand dollars each. Uh, I thought that that was delightful and, and, and was, a, was a really fun human way in a different way than is like think about the players and their development and the coach but it but like a straight up hey we're gonna get this money we're gonna get this money and then hinky signing some fucking sunny <laughs> weems guy who's never even in the nba after this like cost us money and now we'd be on a 10 win team for nothing uh i just thought that was a great section oh well i was just gonna say that two hundred thousand dollars just just for somebody making 30 million is nothing but for a lot of these guys sure Big. That's twenty percent of their salary yeah. for, the, for for the year. TJ was making people, like eight hundred sixty k that year, so he would have like added a fifth of his bonus just like that, you know. But it, it was yeah. hilarious. That was one of my favorite anecdotes in the entire book, especially because Carl Landry was the one leading these chants, yeah. during, like on the bench yeah. during the game. Like, do we want Carl Landry? Hell no. Do we want Carl Landry? Hell no. And they just. It was Joe, Joel Joel Anthony, Anthony sorry. Joel Carl, Carl Landry yeah. was leading. Yeah, and then, like, Carl Landry goes up yeah. to Joel Anthony post-game, like, gives him a hug and is like, hey, man, you know, we're just messing <laughs> with you. It was so fun. I mean, yeah. the, the friendships, I think, that came from that back of the bench during that season, I mean, TJ and, and, and Nick Stauskas are, you know, best friends. Jeremy Grant, Jakar, those yeah. guys have, like, a bond that I think is unbreakable because of everything we've talked about. They were just in the eye of the hurricane while ESPN and, you know, everyone's complaining about what's happening with them. These guys are just trying to make the league. You know, they're 22-year-old kids, like, making a couple hundred grand trying to satisfy a dream, and they were in the middle of everything. I think it's pretty, you know, fascinating, that that whole complex of all that, all the factors combined. It's pretty, like, wild. Yeah, and the nugget that Elton Brand was the one who's obviously signed on the team at that point uh, to basically be like a player, coach, babysitter type, uh, being like, guys, they're not going to give us that money. Like, you got, we've won ten games this season; they're not going to pay us more money to do it. And everyone be like, what do you mean? <laughs> but we—it's been hard for us. We had a tough yeah. time. It's been a tough season. And then being still like that, him being like Elton already transitioning to management, being like, that doesn't make fiscal <laughs> sense. I went to Duke. Trust me here. I thought that was I thought that was really funny. And it's and and to to your point, I think like, you know, we talk about this a lot. They there's a lot of like straw men in the anti-process argument about what about those players who didn't succeed as if like they're the process players the only ones who didn't succeed. And what about the players who didn't like get a chance to play structured basketball? It's like, well, they probably wouldn't have gotten a chance to play in the NBA otherwise. And Cove and Jakar and TJ and a number of other guys have and Christian Wood, who we can talk about have made careers because they got their first shot playing like real minutes in the process and, and, and got better. Um, and I think like 
two-way contracts, which came about in what, like 2018? 2018? I think so. I think 18, 19 year, yeah. Um, I, I would guess part of the reason for two-way contracts is so that those young guys have a chance of playing but not taking veteran regular salary type jobs. And I think the process is part of that of like, hey, we need more. We want young guys. But it's like, okay, you can get young guys, but for like half the price and you still got to give veteran stuff. And I think all of it matters. And I just don't think like the process was bad for players in, in any in any sense of it. I just really don't. Yeah, I don't think he could get enough credit for giving all those guys auditions. I mean, even guys like Tim Frazier, yeah. he's still kicking around in the league, signing some random yeah. you know, rest of the season deal partially because of what he did in, in that 10-day contract that got it all started. He was the D-League MVP. Every single team had a chance to sign him. Then he comes in that one star against Boston. I had this scene in the book where he was trying to go back to the D-League locker room because um, he got his call up to Philly from Springfield, um, and, or you know, from Portland, Maine, excuse me, and uh, the facility was locked because all the staffers had already gone to Boston to give him, to, to like cheer him on in his start, and he wears Avery Bradley's shoes that Bradley wore to the arena that game. <laughs> He still has like ten assists coming off the bench after uh, replacing Point Jakar. So, Sand doesn't get enough credit for giving I, those guys a chance for sure. A very important number to everyone, Mike, is number two one four. Would you like to guess what that number is? I believe that is the amount of people that have gotten engaged through LL, and this is another ad that I have to come up with something for. <laughs> So really, start starting off hot. Just, just think, think about it. Think about it. Think about it. I think uh, I think Jake is a, uh, a. I don't think he's engaged, but I think he. Uh, I think he, he knows LL. Grew up near LL. All every joke Jake in New Jersey lives together. LL Pavorsky Jewelers is the original sponsor of the rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast, and Mike is right. Two hundred fourteen folks have purchased engagement rings from L.L. Pavorsky, who also listened to this podcast. I was explaining to somebody about a week ago about the wedding that happened at the lottery party, and I brought up the photos. And I still, in retrospect, it seems really, really crazy. At the time, it seemed like a totally normal thing to do. In retrospect, the fact that two people got married at Xfinity Live during the lottery party is just really stunning. Um, and I think they're, I'm pretty sure they're still married. Don of the uh, New York Process Trusters asked if they're still married. I think they are still married. Anyway, LL, you go into a jewelry store, you want a guy that's fucking going to give you the, the real deal, not going to pressure you, not going to force you to spend anything you don't want to spend. Oh, by the way, 214 was the third biggest, right? Ricky Sanchez ring ever, third biggest. I'd love to know, love to know the cost of that. I really yeah, would. How, ga- how gaudy are we talking? I have no idea. I have no idea. Maybe it's like the size of one of those ring pops, <laughs> you know, like nine, nine, ten carats. Maybe we're talking. In any case, whatever you want to spend, LL is your guy. Uh, he takes care of all of our listeners and takes care of them good. And as I've said before, he is now a more svelte, more uh, trim and fit LL Pavorsky, having lost nearly 30 pounds over the last several months. He looks very, very good. Not that people don't look good when they're big, but he looks extra good right now. Um, 707 Walnut is where the store is, but everything is by appointment only. So send him an email, lee at llpavorsky.com. 215-627-2252 is the phone number. You can just tweet at him at llpavorsky. LL Pavorsky Jewelers. It's the playoffs. So he's short in the rotation, which means Missy and Jake got benched. <laughs> No more helping out of the store. 
Meditation has. <laughs> I got it. I got it. Yeah. I, I do think the, the issue of players, and I'm sure, Jake, you spoke to enough of them, and some of the anecdotes speak to it, is that I obviously think it's great that it gave chances to those players. But I think it would be... I, I think we're... I, I, I don't think the issue is as simple as it's fine because it gives young players a chance. There are plenty of veteran players who are stuck in the middle of that who lose years, and Horford for one, or Kevin Love, or whoever it is. And the, the problem becomes, like, we all just go, well, they're making $30 million, is fine. But, like, I, I don't always think, not that I think that there's a solution to this, but I don't think because somebody makes $30 million that they should just be okay with shitting away years of their career, you know? I think that's the one of the Yeah, issues. I mean, I don't think that that's the case either, but there's always going to be bad teams. You know, there's always going to be teams that just aren't as good. They're, you're never going to have like, here's 30 teams that are all like within five games of 500. There's going to be great teams and there's going to be teams, even whether they're trying to lose or not, whether they're the Kings and the Wolves for years sucking and uh, by accident or the Lakers prior to getting LeBron. Like, there's always going to be bad teams. And so for the fan base, you may as well be bad on purpose so you can do something. And for the players, it's like, do the thing that Spike you don't like or at least for JJ, you didn't like it, which is like ask for a trade and like talk, have your reps do the negotiation of being like, hey, I don't want to be on this team. Do but me it's a not solid. always that easy. It's not. A, I, I don't have a problem with asking for a trade, but like, if you're in the third year of a five-year deal of 150 million dollars, you can't always yeah. get a trade. I mean, look sure. at look at Thad. You know, know, like Thad, I, that 2013-14 yeah. season, he desperately wanted out of Philly. That that classic Disney on yeah. Ice road trip. Uh, I mean, this is a funny. I'm, I'm like, I remember being in my 2008 Honda CRV, calling you, getting the scoop that Thad requested a trade, and like not knowing whether or not to write about it for LB. And of course, like he denies it publicly, and it's this yeah. whole thing that like pe like people like in you know the radio, whenever calling out the legitimacy the legitimacy of the report, and then like sure enough, sit right. down with Thad at some hotel in New York eight years later. He's like, oh yeah, I want to get the hell out of there. And he goes on that Disney on Ice road trip and, like, puts up 30 a game. And, like, Jason Richardson is, like, telling him on the plane, like, yeah, man, like, you definitely want to get out of here. And, like, sure enough, he can't because Sam is holding his value. He would refuse to give him up for less than a first-round pick. Sure enough, they did get that in that three-team deal with Kevin Love. But there's a scene mm -hmm. that I have in the book very quickly where – at the de after the deadline, Indiana comes back. Evan Turner and Lavoy Allen find Thad at half court, and they're like, "We're sorry, you're still here." And he, Thad definitely felt like he wasted a year of his career. Absolutely. So I do see what you're, what, the point of what you're saying, Spike. I guess. Just like I guess it, my it, point interesting. is that, I guess my point is that that happens all the time. Thad's on a Chicago team For that sure. sucks right now. There's plenty of teams on guy, players on teams that are bad. That just because they're not bad on purpose, because they're bad by accident. It doesn't mean they don't feel like they're also wasting a year of their career. I get that. That's that's my perspective. Is like, yeah, but I think if somebody if somebody if somebody uh, hurt you <laughs> physically, there is a difference. Like hit you in the head, you know, you're bleeding, you have a concussion. There is a difference between whether they attempted to do that or whether they slipped and hit you in the head. And I think I think trying to again, I I don't have a like. It's just sort of like. It, it comes with the territory, I guess, in a certain respect, but there is a difference between trying and, and not trying, I think. Yeah, maybe. I mean, my, my argument is always, like, 
the the coaches and players on the team are trying almost yeah. always. I think that there wasn't a time when Brett was like, you guys should lose, or telling TJ or Isaiah Cannon, like, hey, miss this shot. And so if you're on a bad team, maybe, and maybe we can ask Thad that. Like, maybe that's a question you can ask for Thad. Like, hey, you've been on shitty teams. Like, is, does it feel basically the same? Or because, and because it was like a national narrative, did you feel like kind of a scapegoat on this thing? Yeah. Maybe it was just like yeah. a popular. Anyway, it's, it's an interesting I, I, discussion. Yeah. But I think ultimately I come on the side of it, there's as much good and bad as any situation and the process got scapegoated for a bunch of reasons that people against it already were just pulling out of their hat to be against it. One, th- one thing I think runs through this entire, you know, story is that everyone in the NBA has their own agenda, right? Every agent wants their player to be in a position to get paid the most. Every coach wants to put himself in a position to be successful, to get his next great job that he wants or, you know, whatever. Every GM is exacting his plan to definitely maximize his team and his overall organization. But these guys know that it comes down to their record and it comes down to, you know, when, when the trade happens that, you know, when Kevin Pelton puts up his grades or, you know, people react on Twitter, it's Sam Presti versus Daryl Morey. It's not, you know, the whole front office versus the whole front office. So those guys have their, everyone's got their own opinion and agenda and, and things that put themselves in the whole NBA ecosystem further along. So yeah, like someone's going to get burned pretty much any type, any rotation change, any transaction, whatever, that is just part of the business. It does suck for a lot of people, but you do. I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is I see both sides of it. Yeah. There was a, uh, there was a good nugget, uh, that I, I had forgotten at the 2016 draft lottery that Dikembe Mutombo had tweeted congrats to the Sixers hours before they won the lottery. I had totally forgotten that. And in reading it in your book, it is a conspiracy that I buy, that they told him that it was going to be the Sixers, that they were allowing the Sixers to win the lottery so that them forcing the Colangelos onto us was a, here, take these guys, and we'll give you the number one pick uh, because of it. And I, I'm not a conspiracy-minded <laughs> guy, but that's enough. That that's enough to clear the threshold for me. What do you think? Um, I don't think it was a conspiracy. Um, I will say, Takemi Otomo was probably the first like official interview I did for this book. I was at, when I was still at Sports Illustrated. Um, you know, a lot of times we get these random PR events in the city, like, "Hey, come to you know, this." food hall called the Penzi in Madison Square Garden and like come talk to Dikembe Mutombo for five minutes and I was like what can I possibly talk to Dikembe Mutombo about 2016 lottery thing he was like legitimately freaked out that he was going to lose his job (laughs) being an NBA ambassador (laughs) and he like deleted his Twitter account and like told his son like you have my password now like I can't log in there without making this mistake anymore and like Adam Silver (laughs) calls him into his office and says like you can't represent the league this way he was like actually distraught, like losing sleep over this little tweet gaffe that he had, which I thought was hilarious. I'm trying to imagine Adam Silver telling his seven foot Dikembe Mutombo, one of the best defensive players of all time, like scolding him and being like, "You're a bad job, Dikembe." Like, yeah. really, really funny. And and the fact that me and Dikembe Mutombo did the same thing because in 2010 I I got fooled running for the SB Nation's Philly site. I got fooled by a fake Zach, Zach Greinke <laughs> trade to the Phillies, which wasn't real. I still like have flop sweat dreams about. Uh, I feel a kinship with Dikembe, uh, and now always will because of him. If somebody wrote this book again in <laughs> twenty years, like, 
what what do you think it would be like? Like, wh- where do you think it goes yeah. from here? Um, well, I guess I should give my like actual pitch for it because we've kind of just jumped right into this. Um, the I, I say the book is. Uh, anecdotal history of a bunch of different case studies of tanking that was happening around the same time because as all these analytical yeah. executives were coming to power on the league like it wasn't just Sam as much as Sam and Philly they're by far the main character of this thing like it was Rob Hennigan mm-hmm. in Orlando too people forget Phoenix was supposed to be worse than Philly that 13-14 season KG and Paul Pierce yeah. were traded to Brooklyn the same exact night that Hinky traded Drew Holiday to uh, to New Orleans so it was clue that was the same night? Same exact night. Andrew Sharp, I met him for the first time at the draft in 13. It was his first day starting for Grantland. I remember he wrote this column, like, the night the NBA draft got drunk because there was, like, eight trades, and it was the record for international guys draft in the first round. It was, like, madness. And um, it was because Hinky traded uh, Drew at no one, that no one knew. As It's in the book, too. Very few people in Philly in the entire organization even knew that trade was happening, too. And the Brooklyn Nets thing happened, like, right bang, bang in the first round. Um, so, I mean, it was all happening coincidentally, like that's for that 2014 class coming up because Miami was running the league, right? With these three guys from the top five and 03, 14 was considered to be the best class since then. So these, all these executives thought, you know, instead of competing against Miami, we'll just get the next generation of those guys. And by the time that dynasty crumbles, we'll be there. And that has worked, you know, for a lot of those teams, Philly, obviously the number one seed that we've talked about. No, Boston's not there really anymore, but they did make the conference finals, you know, a bunch. And they kind of, I mean, that's a whole other podcast about how they have, you know, not really handled that situation well the last couple of years. But, and then Phoenix didn't think it'd be Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. But, you know, the draft, you, you draft all-stars to attract all-stars. Chris Paul's there. They're a top seed in the West. So flashing forward mm-hmm. to get back to Spike's question, you know, this 2021 class is considered to be the next best class since 14, like I said, at the top two. So if Cade Cunningham, you know, goes to OKC, and then, I mean, they have Shea already. Like, if, if Houston has Kevin Porter Jr. and Christian Wood, and they get this guy, and if, if this next, like, generation of, of the tanking era produces this next generation of young, plucky contenders, you know, I think also the tanking thing is kind of the, the, the opposite end of the spectrum of super, super team building, right? Like, the Rockets had a superstar in James Harden. He just said, I, have, I want to go to Brooklyn, and now they're immediately the worst team in the league. So I think the story, the way it's going right now, I think it's going to end up being how there's this vicious carousel in the NBA where you tank to get your guy, and once you get that guy, it's everything you can do to build a team around him before it's too late. And if it is too late, you have to trade him and tank all over again. So I think that, that's yeah. my guess as to where this is going if something doesn't change. Yeah, that's the thing for me is I don't – I think too often uh, people on the other side think that we deify the process as if it was some, like, brilliant thing. I really don't think it was brilliant. I think it was just – I think it was pretty obvious and deeply necessary based on if you look at the Sixers rosters from like 2006 to 2012, um, that there was just no other yeah. choice then to do that. Otherwise, there was such a ceiling and the ceiling was very low. The ceiling was like a six seed. And in my mind, it's what, what OKC is doing is not that brilliant or complicated. It is just prioritizing something the furthest down the road than any other team is doing. And so... I think it, I think it's necessary. I think it's a it is brave if if you have owners that like stick to their guns <laughs> and and have like the gumption to do it and and all that stuff. Which might be um, the most important factor. But I, which is the most important factor? But I I don't think it's the like it's not hard to be like 
hey, you you want this guy? Like, yeah, we'll take a we'll take a second round pick or a high second round pick to to like take your salary. We don't need it anyway. Like, that's not that hard to do. Like, drafting is hard, but but acquiring draft picks when you don't care about winning in the short term is not and never was. And it was just the process only took three years. It would have taken two years if Embiid was held. It didn't get hurt a second time. Um, obviously, Simmons also misses first year. Nerlens misses first year. Like th- these were these guys had been available because of injury and the Sixers prioritized that but like they had the best talent and it would have been even shorter for what anyway we, we know this. <laughs> well I just want I just want to say to your people. point about having the gumption to do it like that's why Sacramento is so included in the book because they never had a chance to really get a, yeah. def- a, a changing guy like they got to Marcus of five who by all accounts had all the talent to do it but you know Vivek and Mike Malone and Pete D'Alessandro came into Sacramento right when Sam and Brett came into Philly and the Kings had three different head coaches in those first two years, and they bring in Vlade to replace Pete D'Alessandro, and there's all this infighting. I mean, I have this crazy scene in the book after the trade deadline in 2016, Vance Wahlberg, who was an assistant in the early Brett Brown days, he, they, they, Vlade Divac calls him into his office and just fires him because Vivek wanted to give a message to George Carl to say who's in control of the franchise. Like, you're never going to... <laughs> rebound back into postseason contention if you don't have a direct uniform formula and a plan which i know is what you know you guys were begging for for a decade and what i was too back when i was a fan of the team like to actually have some concerted strategy like very few it's it's pretty funny how few franchises actually have that strategy concocted and then exact it for multiple years over we see too many changing of the guards and too many changes of direction where you just end up chasing your own tail and you get stuck in the mud back when i was a fan of the team you're still a fan of the team jake come on this journalistic integrity kevin o'connor zach Lowe, it's true man fan of the team. you're true. still a fan of the team Listen. used to write for liberty ballers used to write mcw tank diaries <laughs> Even though I was like, Jake, you're a journalist, you're yeah, not funny. That was a good, you're that still was good doing advice. it, and I respected you for doing it, but you're still a Sixers fan, not a chance. Do you not root for the my Sixers? Brother the always, my my brother on. always busts my balls about saying that, but it's true. I mean, the story I give to like most clearly define it, for, like, for the book, I came down to Sixers Warriors last January, like right after Kobe died, because I needed to talk to D'Angelo. And I went to Warriors practice on that Tuesday night at Drexel and like found out, waited for like two hours to find out D'Angelo didn't want to talk pregame. He doesn't want to talk like I need to talk to him postgame. I already took a bus down from New York. Like I'm sitting in the Wells Fargo Center rooting for Golden State to win. So D'Angelo will be in a good mood to talk to me like that's just kind of how this goes, right, man. One one game. Maybe I'll give you the <laughs> one game you're rooting for D'Angelo. Selfishly. Rooting Listen, for if they D'Angelo win, win okay, it'll be great fine. for the book. So I'm not I'm not mad that the Sixers have the most direct path to the conference finals in the Eastern Conference right now. That's fair. That's Jake fair. roots for Jake number one That's and true. the Sixers Listen, number call me two. selfish, right, but right. that is exactly what I root for, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it's a great book, and I there's a bunch of snippets of it that I really love and some new nuggets that I had not known about. TJ asking his teammates if they, if they think all season that he's going to make the team. I thought it was great. Uh, reliving Hawes admitting that he wasn't trying in that last Cavs game. Uh, the worst game ever played. Worst by game any ever NBA played, player. which is great. Yeah. Um, there being a real, uh, not even possibility, but probability that Danny Ferry was going to be hired prior to as co-GM with Hinky prior to uh, Sean Marks getting the Brooklyn job, and then Colan- Brian Colangelo being like, "Well, I want this one then," um, and Hinky probably being, I guess, more fine with sharing duties with Danny Ferry, which would have been interesting. Yeah. Um, 
And then obviously there's some good Christian Wood stuff with with Hinky. Uh, Christian Wood claiming that he's one of Hinky's guys, which I think is really Christian is Wood great. was one of the funnier um, interviews before, for the entire book because I, I walked up to him. I remember it was at I think he was in the Bucks at the time, uh, shoot around at the Garden, and um, he like I kind of I did a thing with him for SI um, back when he like first signed with Philly to kind of go through like his fall from grace on draft night. And he's like crying in his lap, like realizing I'm I'm going undrafted to where he like it was a humbling experience for him. Um, but he's still like kind of a loose cannon with quotes, which is like a reporter's dream. Oh, and yeah. I, t- and they, I told him like, Hey man, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you about the fight in Boston. And he was like, no, 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 I can't talk about that. I was like, don't worry. In like 15 <laughs> minutes, I'm going to ask you about the fight about Boston. And sure enough, like as we get to there in the conversation, I was like, so you want to talk about the fight in Boston? He was like, ah, yeah, fuck it. Let's do it. So Christian Wood, I have a soft spot for him. Absolutely. Yeah. He's good, man. Um, well, it's a great book, and uh, and it gives a big a big picture and uh, microscopic view of of the process and, and other tanking jobs during this year. We recommend everybody get the book if you're a fan. Built to lose: How the NBA's tanking era changed the league forever. From a formerly hundred dollars a week to operate the Facebook at Liberty Ballers writer Jake Fisher. Um, I'm proud of you, man. There's it's not awesome. a there's not an audio book, is there? You should get Mike to read the audio. <laughs> there is an audio book, actually. Um, yeah. Oh, I, really? If I did an audio book, I'd be making a lot of commentary. It would be a long <laughs> yeah. audio book. It'd be like, hang on a second. And uh, brief interlude <laughs> between this chapter. Um, yeah, well, this is wrong. <laughs> There's yeah. some guy named Kevin who apparently knows the SID of Northeastern basketball when I was there covering the team for the radio station. So I don't know his last name, but... Apparently he did okay. a good job. I, I've actually been meaning to buy it to give it a wow. listen, but I, I have no review yet. Um, and I have a camp friend who bought the audiobook CD, quote unquote, which I don't even know what that means. And apparently it's backed up and he hasn't ordered <laughs> it. And he like did it as a bit to be like, I didn't get the book. I bought the CD. So his uh, wow. his troll has been trolled right back at him. There you go. Uh, well, congratulations on the, on the book. R- writing, as I said, a whole book. You wrote a whole book. That. Thank yeah. you, guys. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Um, all right. We will talk to you, um, I don't know, later this week, Wednesday-ish, something like that. Midway through the, yeah, midway through the, the plan plan tournament, so we'll have a better yeah. idea of who it's going to be. Jake, do you want to say it? Okay. Do you want to say the thing at the end? This is a proof yeah, of Jake Yeah, you know like this? Yeah. We have to wait till Spike says the thing. Sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's too late. He already <laughs> said it. All right. Thanks, Jake. Thank you, guys. If you don't fuck with me... Then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. But if you fuck with me, I'm gonna fucking kill you! Thanks for playing.